You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. They have come a long way together from high school sweethearts to longtime spouses, and they've reached financial independence through real estate. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Today's guests built a real estate portfolio one property at a time. Scott was able to retire from his IT job just three years ago. And Caroline says she only works on passion projects because she's now job optional. They're from New York, but spend much of their time at their current primary home in Northeast Florida. So what did it take to accomplish this task? What did they buy and where? And what tips would they like to share with other aspiring real estate investors? So Scott and Caroline, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, you bet. So I would love to hear about your very exciting and interesting real estate journey. So how did you get started? Well, we uh, were born and raised in New York City, which has very, very expensive real estate. So the very first thing that we bought was when we were in our early 30s and we bought a weekend place that we could use because New York City apartments are very, very small. Mm -hmm. And so that was the very first thing that we bought. And it was during a boom time in real estate. So we were able to get a home equity line off of that and buy our first rental property from that a few years later. We did that. uh, We did a couple of rental properties at that time and really just thought of it as a supplement to very traditional investing. It wasn't until pretty recently, 2013, uh, so seven years ago, when we started buying rentals in earnest. So we now have 10 doors that we rent And we don't have that place anymore, that little weekend place. It birthed a few houses, but then we ultimately sold it. And we actually make our primary residence in Northeast Florida right now. We do own that car. So do you live in Florida or do you just travel a lot? We We, travel uh, a lot and we live in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Okay. And where do you own rental property today? So we, uh, over the years, uh, as Caroline mentioned, we started our investment properties in North Carolina. So in the beginning, we were purchasing uh, investment properties fairly slowly, uh, one every year or so, until we had collected a few properties in North Carolina. Uh, Then as the price of real estate went up, it was hard to find good deals there. We branched out and started buying properties in Florida. And we purchased about five properties in Florida, and we also purchased a few properties in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana as well. In the last few years, uh, we purchased three properties in Costa Rica that we've been using as vacation rentals on Airbnb. Wow. Where in Costa Rica? The Tamarindo. We love the beach. So Mm -hmm. we get to use one of the condos, and then we can rent all three of the places when we're not using it. Well, that seems very daring. How did, how did you jump into owning Airbnbs in, in Costa Rica? I'm nervous to do it just here near my house, but <laughs> how did you do it uh, so far away? Well, yeah. at that point, we had owned, you know, as Scott mentioned, we had already been purchasing rentals in North Carolina, Florida, and Indiana. So we saw how that whole process worked. And we did want some international diversification. So we did want to own outside the U.S. We liked Costa Rica personally, so we felt that even if all heck breaks loose and we somehow can't rent a property, uh, we can always use it for vacation. But it didn't turn out that way. It, was, it rents very well, and so we picked up a couple more. 
I mean, we started with one and we really felt very comfortable with the team that we met on the ground. Uh, we have local property managers that we know and that we trust. Uh, and after we bought the first one and we saw that it was going well, we were comfortable with purchasing two more. Was there much of a difference between Costa Rica real estate law versus the U.S.? Like, do you get, are you on title? We are in title. We set up an LLC, specifically a Costa Rican LLC that owns the properties. Foreigners can own in Costa Rica. That was obviously one of the prerequisites for when we we're looking at geographies outside the U.S. Um, Costa Rica is on the dollar in terms of the real estate transaction. So it was fairly similar to, to owning in the U.S. I think the big, big uh, difference is that financing is not really available. You can get seller financing, but in terms of bank financing, that's strictly for um, citizens and it's a very, very high rate. So we needed to figure out financing you know, outside kind of the traditional. And I would add one other challenge with uh, buying real estate in Costa Rica is uh, unlike the United States, where there's an MLS system and all of the real estate transactions are, are, are public, you know, part of the public record, in Costa Rica, it can be hard to see what other properties are selling for. And so there's a little less you know, visibility into what the correct price is when you're buying something. So that was one of the challenges that we, we had to deal with. Ooh, how did you overcome that? Here. So we had a great uh, realtor who knows a lot of the other realtors in town and uh, you know, uh, really kind of has her pulse on what uh, what she has sold herself and as well as what other properties have been selling for. But it requires a lot of legwork instead of just, you know, querying the public MLS database. It seems like it would be pretty easy to get ripped off, but, you know, that can happen anywhere. You just have to have the right team. Yes. What about insurance when you invest out of the country? It's pretty straightforward. You buy property and casualty insurance. So it's actually very similar in that way based on the value of the property. And other things are very similar property taxes. And we have two condos out there which have homeowners association dues. You actually go out to the meeting you know, once a year and it runs pretty much like a condo complex meeting. So there's a lot of things <laughs> that are very similar. Oh, that's great. And how did you find alternative finance? What does that look like? So we ended up doing a cash out refinance of one of our rentals to mm -hmm. buy our first property there in cash. And then we also used a self-directed solo 401k to buy the other two rentals. So, you know, again, we didn't apply for a mortgage. Uh, we didn't do seller financing, but we essentially, you know, financed it out of our other investments. So if you have an Airbnb, if you own an, uh, you know, a short-term rental property, within your self-directed IRA, is that treated as a business or as a rental property? So we are treating it as, as a rental property because the business income flows into, you know, the Costa Rican LLC shares are owned by the 401k. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that they can self-direct their IRAs and buy property internationally. You just, it's my understanding, you just can't 1031 exchange into a property outside the U.S. that I know of. Yeah. And then obviously we, we couldn't do, I don't think that we could have done, let's say, non-recourse financing even with a, an international property, but we didn't look into that. So I don't know for sure. Okay. Very interesting. So how would you say that real estate has changed your life over the years? Well, so in addition to just enjoying the, the whole scouting and looking at properties and the whole process of it, which has given us something that we can do together, I think initially we were very much a traditional 
stock market investors. That's what 401ks usually are. You, you have mutual funds that you can invest in. And the idea of just having all of this money to the whims of stock market and really not having that kind of control was always a little bit worrisome. We do still have money in the stock market, but real estate gives us diversification. It gives us investments that we feel like we can understand and select for ourselves and can manage more closely. And the cash flow from real estate is so much more reliable and predictable, I feel, than you know, capital gains or uh, even dividends from paper assets. So it enabled us to really rely on our investments at a much earlier age. We're in our late 40s. And so I wouldn't feel like I could manage, you know, a paper asset portfolio in this market that's supposed to last us until we're in our 80s, 90s, or even 100. That's a long time. (laughs) Sure. And that's the same for both of you? Yeah. I mean, um, initially, you know, real estate for us started as an activity that we could do, Carolyn said, that we could do together and as a way for us to sort of plan for our retirement, you know, we started investing in North Carolina and we thought that might be a place we might relocate to when we turn 65 and we're ready to retire, you know, with our thinking 15 years ago. Uh, and then when we started investing in Florida, it was because we really enjoyed the location in addition to obviously finding deals. So real estate for us has always been a journey that enabled us to you know, travel a little bit and explore new places and think about where we might spend our retirement eventually, you know, and then as we realized that it would take us closer and closer to financial independence, we got more serious about real estate. And when we started investing in Indiana and Costa Rica, you know, just being more specific around what the cash flow can do for us and what the tax advantages can do for us and uh, building equity over time. So it started out as more of a, a, more of a, a long-term hobby and then evolved into more of a business. So what lessons have you learned along the way, both the, the positive and the more challenging? So I think we got into it, I think prepared to do research and that has definitely, definitely helped us. You asked that question about how Costa Rica is different from the US. With all of our geographies, we've always had to research, you know, what prices, you know, what makes a good deal. Um, but certainly in Costa Rica, it was more challenging because didn't understand the market as much, and there is no MLS. So I think the, the whole research piece has been a challenge, but it's something that we've, we've carried throughout. I would say that in hindsight, you know, so Scott did mention that we purchased properties in Indiana. We actually divested those properties after a few years. And so over time, we've gotten a little bit more uh, selective about what we're going to invest in, what what we like to invest in. And so that's, I would say that that was a, a challenge and that was a change for us, you know, as we went through this process. And what are those changes? What are the new parameters that, you know, the guidelines that you look at before buying or selling? Yeah. So we had invested in more B and C, like B minus C type neighborhoods in Indiana. And I it just wasn't comfortable that they would survive a recession if and when we have one. And then also it was much more of a headache to manage. So I think we're just more clear about the level of rent income that we, in the neighborhoods that we buy into um, the vacation rentals, for example, in Costa Rica, which was our most recent purchase. These are 
you know, not luxury rentals, but they're, de- you know, they're vacation rentals. So it definitely attracts a demographic with disposable income. And I just felt like those would be um, the demographics that would ride out a recession. Okay. Yeah. And then just going back to sort of uh, lessons learned over time, uh, you know, one of the things that we've, or some of the things that have happened to us over time is sometimes we've, you know, Caroline mentioned that we divested our Indiana, Indiana uh, rentals. Um, but there have been a couple of other instances where we've sold properties probably a little bit too quickly. Uh, we had one property in North Carolina where we had a mold issue and the neighboring, you know, we had a shared driveway with the neighbor house and it looked like they were having flea markets all the time with all the junk on the lawn. You know, we kind of, we were early in our real estate investing career and we sort of panicked and just sold the property. You know, in hindsight, we'd much rather have held on to it. Um, and then we ran into another situation in Florida with a property that we were renting long term. And then because of the HOA restrictions, we could not rent it at that time. And so we sold it. But with uh, changing economies, um, eventually we probably could have re-rented it again and, and maybe would have been better off holding it. So, uh, you know, sort of our, our lessons learned is we're now a little bit more analytical and a little bit more patient in terms of whether we should hold or whether we should sell. Oh boy, do I know that one well. We we Rich and I bought I think 12 properties in Rockwall, Texas in 2000 right around 2006 and they've tripled in value since then, but we sold I think in 2010 because the market was down and oh yeah, we we would have done real well if we just held. So, but sometimes sometimes there's properties that it's wiser to sell if if the value has gone up so much and the rents really haven't then you could at least refi and take that money out and buy more property or just sell it to to be able to acquire more. It, it just depends on the deal. Right. right. Yeah. To Scott's point about being more analytical, we don't panic anymore. We just mm-hmm. look at the numbers and we, we know that it, we can work through it. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. You know, we obviously talk to hundreds, if not thousands of investors, and it, it is interesting how some people do panic more than others. And that's just not a it doesn't make for a pleasant process, you know, if you're worried about everything. So if you really go into it with certain parameters, you understand you've got reserves set aside for when things go wrong, because you know they will, then it doesn't feel so bad when it happens. Yeah. And that's the thing that we like about our portfolio is that we have more of a portfolio. If we have uh, 10 rentals, you know, we have a property now that's vacant and it's been vacant for a couple of months. And, you know, we're sort of, uh, you know, a little nervous about the, the time it's taking to rent it. But we do have a portfolio, so there are other properties to prop that up. We're, we're missing the income for, for that property every month, but you know the other properties sort of uh, hold that up. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, Rich and I just got a, a bill in, in our Cleveland property for, I think it was $8,000 for the uh, something, some, something with the pipes. And boy, does that hurt. But when you think, okay, we've had this property for five years, it stayed rented. Uh, when you add it all up, it's really not that big of a, an expense overall. It's just, you got to treat it like a business. Right. So, and not all of the properties are going to have those issues. Some exactly. of them happens to some, but not, not to all of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's what uh, some of our investment counselors at Real Wealth Network say just that, that, you know, if you just have one or two properties, it's really not, you're not really a real estate investor because you don't have that portfolio yet to, to offset uh, when things happen. So w- when would you say, that you really truly have that portfolio? Would you say it's 10 or what do you think? You know, I don't know. I mean, when we had the first two, 
it definitely didn't feel like a portfolio, but not just because of the numbers. It was also because of the way we treated the investment. You know, we really just looked at it as an extension of our traditional paper investing, just something kind of different, but we weren't looking at real estate as a class, you know, really looking at, you know, what else could we be doing? And I think we developed that mindset with our third, fourth, and fifth properties. It wasn't so much that we had to get to 10. It was more that we just started being more patient and analytical, as Scott mentioned. And we just started setting goals for ourselves and looking at markets and making decisions based on, well, what returns do we want? And, you know, how much money are we willing to put up for this? And, you know, just started treating it more like a business. Yeah. But I would say once we got to around, say, four or five rentals, then it just didn't feel so bad when a property went vacant and then we had a repair bill and it would be a couple of months of, uh, of lost, you know, of missing uh, rental income. You know, so I'd say once we got to that, so four or five property area where it sort of started really feeling like a portfolio. So what would you say is an important hot tip that you'd like to share with our other listeners? I feel like I'd want to say that there are no hot tips. I, <laughs> you know, so like it, it's more like there's, I, I do believe that there's a deal in every market, meaning that even when it seems like prices are really high, there might be someone Uh, in the neighborhood who has a reason to sell and that needs to sell quickly and that you can work something out with that person. Or if it seems like this isn't a great neighborhood, but maybe you know something about that neighborhood, or maybe you know something about that house and something that you can do to it that will make it, you know, a star in that, that neighborhood. So it's less about, I think, trying to find this magical tip that's going to solve all of your problems and really just looking at, you know, what you know, if it's a particular geography or if it's a particular type of real estate that you want to invest into, you know, what your interests are, how much money you have to play with, what your projected returns are, and really just using that kind of practical analysis and not essentially horse betting or gambling. Yeah. And I would say that, uh, especially for those that are just getting started, it's important to, to understand that it's not completely hands-off. You know, you have a property manager in the market who's going to manage the tenant for you and, and everything that's happening. But at the end of the day, they're managing, you know, hundreds or thousands of units. And it's really on you to make sure that you're comfortable with what the property manager is doing. And I've seen, you know, accounting mistakes when I look at statements. And so I think for someone that's really starting out or even for someone that has a, a bunch of properties, you know, it's really on you to just take a close look at what's happening, you know, on a monthly basis with at least the statements that you get and checking in with the property manager, just to make sure that your rental is being taken care of the way that, that you'd want it to be. Mm, great advice. All right. Well, what are your plans next? Are you going to keep acquiring or are you all set now? We we're interested in acquiring. Uh, we haven't seen anything yet that we are interested in, but we're still looking at all the geographies where we currently are, and we're potentially thinking about adding new geographies, including other international. So we'll see. Awesome. All right. Well, Scott and Caroline, thank you so much for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom with us. Thanks so much, Kathy. Yeah, it's right. been great. Thanks. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can find out more about our Costa Rica project on our website at realwellshow.com. 
and you also get data and information and referrals to great property managers on the resources page at realwellshow.com.